Well, good morning, everybody. It has gone quiet, so it must be time to start. And it is lovely to have you, and you're very welcome to our service of worship uh, this morning. It does feel a bit cold, actually, but uh, hopefully we'll warm up as we, as we get going. So last week we were encouraged that, um, that the Father loved us, and that because he loved us, we were able to be heard by him and... Uh, Today we're going to be thinking about what it means to be united um, in Christ and uh, the whole idea of Christian unity. Um, so lovely to have you. Um, uh, let's encourage one another uh, by giving of ourselves as we, uh, as we read together, as we pray, as we sing, uh, and as we get to know one another. Lovely to have Annie back. Uh, so Annie, lovely to see you. And uh, so you've had a guard of honor, you've had hugs, you've had words of welcome and now applause. So it's great to have you back again. Um, let me just read to you a psalm, uh, which we always go to when we want to talk about unity. And, and it's got some lovely pictures in it, which I suppose you need to understand that Aaron was a priest uh, he had this turban on and he had a big beard and then the oil of the Holy Spirit, as it were, were poured upon him and it ran down his, his beard and then down over him and that was a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the unity that was there. Hermon was a mountain. It's a mountain in Israel. It's extremely tall. It has ice at the top of it and it gives water throughout the year even though it is a hot country. And this is what the Word of God says. How good and pleasant it is when the family of God live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were fall falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. That is the blessing of unity in Christ, eternal life, and it is a fantastic thing. So let's come and worship God this morning, and we're going to sing a song called Glory Be, which I think is new, but it's quite a simple song, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to pick it up as we go along. So let's stand and worship Glory Be. Well, you did well, I think. Overall, that was good. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn them to John chapter 17. And the reason that we were singing glory be to God is because of the word glory is used uh, often in this first part of the prayer. I've asked Joan if she will come to the front and read this to us. Joan, can you do that? Um, while you're looking it up, it should be page 1085. And we're just going to read these first five verses. Uh, where Jesus prays for himself. And uh, yeah, thanks, Ricardo. That's lovely. So, Ricardo will hold the microphone for you, Joan, and then you read away. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, 
that your son may be glorified, may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you had given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Thank you, Joan. Well, let's pray with those thoughts in our mind. Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that we've been reading about. And we thank you, Father, that he brought glory to you. And Father, we thank you that when we look at his life, it was a glorious life. It was a good life. It was a life that was kind and full of goodness. It was a life that was practical and met the needs of many people. It was a life, of course, that ended up in his death on the cross, and that glorified you because it showed the extent of your love for your people. And Father, we thank you for that desire that we see in Jesus that he would be with you, that he longs to have an intimate relationship with you more than he has at this point in time, that he has given up so much that he might be with us and communicate with us, that he has left the glory of heaven, that he has, has, has had his glory veiled so that we cannot see it, that he submitted himself to appetites and to the temptation to sin. And Father, we thank you that he submitted himself in that way and that he longed to have that relationship with you. And Father, we thank you that he was obedient. As the Bible says, obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Father, we thank you for the honor and the wisdom and the glory that he brought to your name. And so, Father, when we think about Jesus, Lord, we are humbled because we so often want glory for ourselves. We want our names magnified. We want to be seen well by others. We want to get the limelight. And Father, we are slow to obedience. We question you. We are reluctant to do what you want. And Father, at times we willfully disobey you. And Father, we are too so often not longing to be with you. We struggle to find time to pray. We find we struggle to really want to read your word and to commune with what you say to us. We so often do not want to come to church. We come in a tardy manner. We come without thinking and without preparation. Father, we are so unlike Jesus. And I pray that you will help us to see it and not to despair because we will bring our sin to you and we will again say thank you for Jesus and thank you for what he has done for us. And so, Father, we give that sin to you. We pray that you will forgive us. And we pray that you will fill us with the, the Holy Spirit. And that, Father, that therefore you will transform our lives so that we will be more glorious. 
and that we will bring glory to Jesus so that we will have more of the intimacy of Jesus, that we will love you more, have more joy in you, and have more peace. And that, Father, that we will be obedient, obedient to the revealed will of God in Scripture. And so, Father, we pray that we will be able, like Jesus, to pray a prayer like this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to then read the second part, but it's over to Katie to do that. To the front with the Bible, because you're going to need it. We're going to read and talk together. So, I see more young friends come to the front. There we go. Well, over the last two and a half months, we have been looking at these conversations that Jesus has with his disciples, um, his final words. And so before we look at the last thing that Jesus has to say today, this is our last day in John. No, you're all sad. You should be sad. It's a great book. This is our last day. Um, so we're going to look back and see about some of the things that we've learned first. And I've brought pictures just in case you've forgotten maybe some of the things we've learned. So, what do you think this one represents? Yeah, but what does it help us remember about our story in John? Ooh, that's good. That is in John. What day are all of these conversations happening on? If you don't know, look at Passover. Chapter 13, verse 1. I know it was so long ago, September, it feels like forever. It started, this whole day is Passover. So it's the day that the, the Jewish people are celebrating how God rescued them from death and slavery. And the sheep has to do with it because they would sacrifice a sheep and they spread the blood over the door so that death passed over the Israelites. So we need our, our sheep here. There we go. What else do we have? Oh, what does this remind us of? He washed their feet. Yeah, we learned that uh, we can't wash our own feet. Only Jesus can wash away our sin. Um, and we also saw that Jesus serves us by doing that. He served his disciples. Um, and so we, like Jesus, serve one another. We've got some feet here. Oh, what else do we got? Yes, we learned that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Remember, Lorraine told us this really wonderful story about using maps, um, and the map actually didn't work, and so she had to call her friend, and her friend gave better directions because she knew the person. I mean, so it was about knowing Jesus, the person, and he helps us. He's the only way to know God the Father. Um, and if you were paying attention, we read today that knowing the Father is actually eternal life. So Jesus is the only way, the one way to eternal life. And then, ooh, what are these? So we've got some grapes. Yes, and Jesus taught us about 
um, being branches in the one vine, we have to remain in Jesus so that we are fruitful. Um, and sometimes we need to be pruned so that we'll be more fruitful. Um, so we've got fruit there. There we go. Oh, and this showed up a lot. This could be lots of things. It's true, but what shape is it? Oh, and what do hearts? What do we use hearts to talk about? Well, yes, it is black heart. I was trying to make it the same color, so it'd be easy to see from far away. But we use hearts to talk about love, right? Yeah, so we learned that Jesus loves us. We've learned that, what else about love? Well, he, hasn't, well, he kind of has told us that because he said in John 15 that there is no greater love then someone should die for their friends. So the, the disciples don't even know that Jesus is going to die for them yet, but we, we know, yeah, there's no greater love. Jesus loves us. And so he, he says more than once that we are to love one another. So look around the room. We're supposed to love all these people. Love's really hard, but we're supposed to love one another. And then, oh, this is the last one. Here we go. Oh, this is a tricky one. We use this to talk about the Trinity. Who's in the Trinity? Yes, we use this to help us try and understand the relationship between God the Father and Jesus, who's God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus' Spirit. Um, and we've learned a lot about the relationship. Jesus has told us a lot about the relationship he has with the Father, He's told us a lot about the relationship that he has with the Spirit and that he's going to send his Spirit to live in us and all of his followers. And that he keeps saying that they all are, are united. They think the same things. They say the same words. Um, so we've learned a lot about the relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have with one another. And so... Those are just some of the things that we've learned as we come to chapter 17, verse 6, which is on page 1085, hopefully in your Bibles. Good. Okay. <clears throat> now, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Who is Jesus talking about? Who is he talking about? Any ideas? Well, who is he praying for? How do we know that he's praying for the disciples? We'll have to think about that. We'll come back to that. But yeah, he's praying for the disciples, specifically. Okay? So as we listen to this prayer for the disciples, I want you to listen for the two things... Two very specific things that Jesus prays for, that he asks for the disciples. 
I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the son doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is God's word. Oh, so, what were the two things that Jesus asked for? Protect them. What was the other? And sanctify them. Protect them and sanctify them. So, sanctify is a word that sounds super fancy um, that we use in church. But what it, what it just means is to set apart for a special purpose, for the Lord's special purpose. And Jesus prays that the Father would set apart the disciples by the truth. And he says that his word, the word he has shared with them, is truth. And that actually makes a lot of sense. Because when we were reading the passage, how did we know that he was talking about the disciples? How did we know? What have they done with Jesus' word? They, they, first, they, they listened and they accepted it, and then they obeyed the word that Jesus shared with them. And so the way that they were living by the truth, by the word, was how we knew he was talking about the disciples. And so Jesus says that that's going to make them Stand out, uh, kind of like a light bulb in the middle of a huge dark room. Um, but because they stand out, and the world, we've learned the world hates them. The world really likes darkness. So they look at this light and go, out, be out. And so he says he, they also need protection. Protection for what? Can you find where he asked for protection? See, protection for what? Oh, that's going to come back in a second. So that, those are the key words, so that they can do something for something.
does he say in verse 15? Mm, way earlier than that. that. It's hard because he actually, protection is so important, he asks for it twice. Right? So in verse 15 he asks, but where else does he ask for protection? Whoa! How one? They want, he, he's praying so that they may be as one as he and the Father are one. That's like super duper one. Unity on the nth degree. So one. That's not even like, yeah, you know, like one enough, unified enough. No, as unified as Jesus is with the Father. That's what he's praying for his disciples. And I think it's, well, I wonder if it's important, but I think it might be for their mission, for that why they were sanctified, set apart for their special mission. That unity might be pretty important because he asks for it twice, not just once. But he doesn't just ask for something. He asks protection from something. Charlene, what does he ask? From the evil one. And who's the evil one? Satan. So there's someone, Satan, who is against unity. He is the prince of the opposite of unity, which is division. He does not want the disciples to succeed in their mission of sharing the word of Jesus with the world. And so there he seeks division from the very beginning. Let's think in the, in the very beginning, Satan appears, right? And he goes, did God really say that? And all of a sudden, he's, he's separated Adam and Eve from God. And then God comes to Adam and he says, did you, did you not follow the one thing I asked you? <laughs> I love Adam's response. He goes, well, that woman you gave me. <laughs> so not only is he now divided from God, your fault, you gave her to me. He's also now divided from his wife, his best friend. And from there, humans struggle with division all the time. But we were created for unity. And the last thing, so he asked protection for unity, protection from the evil one who seeks division, and protection by what? Where does the protection come from? This is a tricky one. Yes, but something really important about the Lord. He uses an interesting phrase. The first time he asked for protection. Verse 11. Holy Father, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. 
Now, names aren't just words. It's just an arrangement of letters. It's more than that. A name represents to us a person, a person with a character and with a reputation. We have an, we have an expectation when we hear someone's name. It's so like when I say Disney, what do you think of? Princesses, Mickey Mouse, what else? Disney, when I say Disney, what do you think of? Fun, magic. There's an expectation when we hear Disney, and so when you see Disney's name on something, you expect something. So when you hear the name of the Lord, what do you expect? What do you think of? Greatness. greatness. Savior. Yeah, greatness. Savior. Um, power source, fruitfulness. Love. The only way to eternal life. The only way to be forgiven. Jesus has been showing them and showing us this whole time who he is, who the Lord is. And it is by the power of who he is, he is so dedicated to being himself, so committed to being himself, that he can say, by the power of your name, the power of, of who you are, that you will protect them. And so, we, like the disciples, because they were successful in their mission, because Jesus' prayer for them was answered, and you're going to have to read the rest of John and the whole book of Acts to do that, and that would be some really great bedtime stories, I have to say. But, like the disciples who were successful, now we are Jesus' disciples in this generation. And we get to go out to the world and share this good news of who Jesus is. But we have been sanctified. We have been set apart for that special purpose, and we need protection. But we don't need superhuman strength or powers to protect ourselves. We need to run and remember who Jesus is, that the power of his name can protect us from the evil one who doesn't want us to succeed at our mission. And so we're going to sing a song to remind us of the power of the name of the Lord. Um, so the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The Psalms tell us that it's a strong tower, like the towers out in the countryside, right? So we live outside the tower, out in the world, but when we see the evil one coming, see, if I'm going looking this way, but Sam's looking that way, and Marcella's looking that way, and we see the evil one coming, we sound the signal, and we run to the Lord, who is a strong tower. The righteous, it says that we run into it. We run to the Lord. We don't walk. We don't, we don't mosey along and stop for a minute here and, and stop for a minute there. We run to the Lord, the name of the Lord, and we are saved. We are taken hold of, and we are shielded, protected. See the shield. Okay? And because that's true, that's who the Lord is, and that's how powerful his name is, we bless the name of the Lord. We say special words of praise. We bless the name of the Lord. And we sing holy 
is the name of the Lord. It is spotless, filth-free. It's perfect. Holy is the name of the Lord. And, above all things, Jesus is the name of the Lord. And so we, we remember that Jesus still holds the scar. His hands still bear the scars to show that he has died for us. He is the Lord who saves. Jesus is the name of the Lord. And then, as we read earlier, glory. Praise, glory is to the name of the Lord. So if you would stand and sing with us. Well done, Kitty. Well done, everybody. I have to say that Ruby gets the prize for being saved because she was running hugely into that tower. Weren't you, Ruby? Wasn't that great? And you're definitely shielded as well, which is super as well. So, yeah, that was a good uh, remembrance of everything that we were doing. Uh, boys and girls, you're free to go uh, to Sunday Special in K2. And... Uh, We'll see you later. That's great. Folks, so we're going to just run through these announcements uh, fairly quickly. You'll see that next Sunday we have Alfred Thompson coming to speak. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Alfred is the son of John and Myrtle Thompson, and he's working with Wycliffe Bible Translators now. He's recently visited a country, and he's going to come and report that to us and about the work that he does next Sunday. So please come and support Alfred and, and hear what the work of Bible translation is doing at the moment. If you want to be prayed for, uh, please come to the front and folks will come and pray for you uh, there. Um, we're going to read a statement from session, uh, God willing, on Sunday the 1st of December. Uh, Living Well will meet on Saturday the 7th of December at uh, 10.30 for 11 in the home of Alan and Heather in Bray. And you have Heather's contact email there if you need further details. International Cafe is on on Friday again. Uh, November Knit and Natter is back in the manse. Uh, you'll see there um, uh, this Wednesday. And then Karen's going to come and speak to community support. At the back, we do have a list of names, and about three years ago, people said that they would offer gifts within the church. We have had uh, a mother in our mother and toddler group who is moving. They um, are moving into an uncle's house, uh, such as the accommodation situation in Dublin. It's very hard to find a home. At the moment, they're in a small one-bedroom house with two little girls. And so this uncle has a large house, and they have been busy doing it themselves, renovating. So they will take the top part of the house, and the uncle will live in the bottom. Um, and I uh, brought it to committee and we as a committee decided that we would offer help. So um, this Saturday uh, at 9.30, the real person they're looking for is a carpenter at this stage because they need to block off the stairs uh, to make it two separate identities. Now, I don't know if anyone here is a carpenter. I will certainly go and just be there for them. But if anyone would like to come just from 9.30 until 12.30, um, please just speak to me and we will just give them support. Once they get the floors in the following week, there will be an opportunity, hopefully, to help them clean and then to move in. And their desire would be to be in a bigger home for Christmas. 
And then alongside that, Living Well, as you know, is meeting in December. But we just, as a group, want to acknowledge and give thanks for Heather, who has a significant birthday this uh, week. And can I just ask Heather to come to the front and please accept this small gift uh, on behalf of the church. And can we just sing happy birthday to her? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Heather. Happy birthday to you. Just a small token of appreciation for all your preparation and thought that you put in to hosting us throughout the year. Thank you. Thank you very much to everybody and to living well. <laughs> Okay, um, then we'll see that Walk of Light takes place uh, next Sunday, uh, starting at 4 p.m. in St. Finian's, just down the road. Uh, there are flyers, I think, available for that, like this in the porch, if you want to pick those up. Uh, acid hampers for um, acid works with those who are affected by HIV and AIDS. And if you want to give a hamper, then if you just follow the directions there, by um, ringing or emailing, they will tell you what to do. I had one positive uh, uh, response to the Harcourt Terrace Educate Together National School, and uh, Kirsty's name is there. So if you would like to be part of the board uh, or a community member on the board of management, uh, then do uh, think about that as well. Uh, so I think those are all the announcements that we have. We're going to sing again, Open the Eyes of My Heart, as we come to hear God's Word again in this last part of Jesus' prayer. So let's stand to sing, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Okay, thank you. Well, folks, if you have your Bibles, let's uh, open them at John chapter 17. And we'll just, uh, I'll read you this last part um, from verse 20 to 26. As we look at Jesus praying for all believers. So my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be brought, be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you give me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. So if you keep that open, we'll have a look at this together. So as we were saying, Jesus is the teacher, um, and actually the class is finished. The semester entitled, How to Live as My Disciples in the World, When I Am Gone is Over, and the Reports Have Been Written. And Jesus is praying, really, in summary of the semester, and the report is good. Um, it's good, but the teacher has done his work, as we saw in verses 1 to 5. And the disciples have done well. Look at verse 8. 
For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So they had accepted those words, and Jesus is well pleased with them. The teacher has brought glory to his Father by completing his work perfectly. That really is looking forward as well to the cross, and the students have listened and believed. So now Jesus turns his attention to those who will believe in him through the message, verse 20. He prays for followers of himself throughout the centuries, including us, and his prayer is that they would, ha- they would be one and have unity. Without a doubt, this is an important issue for the church and for this church. It is my prayer that we will, as a result of hearing what Jesus says, understand G- what Jesus means by being one and be more unified and the, des- and the desire to be so because Jesus thinks that this is important. So let's pray as we come to hear God's word. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've uh, been having today to look at this amazing prayer of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, as we come to these final few verses and this whole theme of unity, that you will teach us and that we will be like the disciples uh, from before, that we will listen and that we will obey. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we have... uh, Just a few slides. So it is about unity in the Lord Jesus. And the first thing I want to say is that there is unity through their message. Uh, You see that again in verse 20. I pray that for those who will believe in me through their message. So some of you know that I am involved in a thing called the Irish Preachers Conference. And what is absolutely wonderful about that conference is the fact that there are many different churches and denominations listed. Pentecostals, Baptists, Independents, Methodists, Church of Ireland, Presbyterians of different types, and people from nations from the five continents. And this togetherness is founded on the idea of what we call biblical ecumenism. And what unites us is the message of the gospel of the salvation of people in Jesus Christ. That is the primary thing that unites us. And there is genuine fellowship in that conference. And as we've read through chapters 13 to 17, and Katie gave us a fantastic summary, the importance of hearing and believing Jesus' words has been evident. Chapter 12, 47 and 48. Chapter 14, verses 10 and 24. Chapter 15, verse 7 and 20 and chapter uh, 17, verse 8. They are the Father's words, God's words. They are how we remain in God. They bring us knowledge of salvation. That is what Jesus means by the message. And these words, the words of Scripture, are the beginning and the source of our unity. The Presbyterian Church has a fantastic phrase Um, that describes this. It says that what we do is founded on and agreeable to the Word of God. And so therefore, when we're working out how we are united, we are to work it out as being founded on and agreeable to the Word of God. That is our source of unity, according to Jesus. 
Now, secondly, when I worked in Derry um, as a doctor, I attended what I would describe as a, a sort of new church, a fellowship church, and that was in the Cregan Estate. And for those of those who know your geography and your politics, that was in the nationalist part of, um, uh, of Derry. It was founded by a group of people who were Roman Catholic and who had been saved through a strong experience of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, really through the charismatic renewal, as we talked about in the 1970s. And I loved going up there, except that the army kept stopping me and searching me and wondering why I was coming across into this part of the city. But what was interesting, as as they grew as a church, that they then began to ask questions, questions like, what do we believe about baptism? What do we believe about church membership? And what do we believe about leadership? And it wasn't easy for them as a group of believers coming together and trying to work out what they would say about these issues. And all churches have determined what they believe under the scriptures, and these things get written down. For us, those are written down in the Westminster Confession of Faith, and they're written down in our catechisms. And the point is that unity is achieved both in primary and secondary issues through an agreed message about what the gospel and the Bible say, well, what the Bible says about these issues. And elders, that's me and the elders of this church, submit to their teaching. And it's that that preserves unity. So, for example, you can be a member of this church and you don't have to hold the position of the baptism of infants. You don't have to do that. We will not force you to do that in that sense. We won't ask you to do it. You can hold that. But you couldn't be an elder in this church if that is your position because the elders are agreed to the infant baptism, the baptism of the children of believing parents. And so, therefore, you couldn't teach in our Sunday school if you were determined to teach a doctrine different to that. But you could teach if you agree that this is one opposition of baptism that we hold. Do you see what I'm saying? So that the idea of unity is then based on these secondary documents which are based on the Scriptures. And that is how we maintain the unity of a church. Because if that, if that doesn't happen within the leadership, then we get all these divisions and splits. But it comes through the message. And that's how unity comes, says Jesus. Secondly, we have unity in Jesus. And I, I've been reading a book this week by <clears throat> a guy called Sinclair Ferguson. He's an elder, uh, a teaching elder in the Church of Scotland and in America. And this idea that we are in Jesus is something I think that we talk about, but we don't really perhaps understand it fully. What he, what he said at the start that really captured me was that being a Christian is a phenomenal ideal. If you are a Christian, the fact that you are in Jesus is an absolutely 
phenomenal thing. We tend to think that it doesn't really matter much or that not much has happened to us. And you would be wrong to think that. If you claim to be a Christian, if you are a Christian, then something absolutely wonderful and enormous has happened to you. So what does it mean? Well, what it doesn't mean is that you are like a drop of water in a big pool, that you get absorbed into the church of Jesus Christ and that you're just like everybody else and that you have no importance and that you lose your identity and you become like another drop, as it were, among many drops. The Bible never speaks like that, never uses that image. It uses the image, of course, of the vine and the branches. And I think the one that helped me understand it better is the image of the body with many distinct parts, the liver, the lung, the brains, with the life of the body flowing through all the parts. In that image and language, then every part has an individual identity and function, which is unique, and all are essential and necessary for the proper functioning of the body. So you belong You are an individual, and you belong to the body. And how does that happen? Well, that's the point that Jesus is making here for the disciples. For them, it hasn't happened. Jesus is here. The disciples are there. They are not in him at that point in time. He's still beside them. It only happens, as we were at pains to point out, if he goes away. It's for your good that I'm going away. Because when I go away, what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit. That is the agent of life. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit that brings within us the presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is enormous. God lives in us. Theologically, we call this our union with Christ. It is the most wonderful of truths. The benefit of believing this message is that we are forgiven through, through Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit welcomes us into the family of God. We could talk about the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of adoption. We could go with all of these do- uh, doctrines and they're teaching the same thing in a sense, though different ne- aspects of it that you belong in Jesus within his family. And that is a huge thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this in terms of 1 Corinthians 12. And if you did have a moment, just look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and at the last few verses there. I mean, it would be good to read all of that, I suppose, from verse 12 onwards. I don't have time to do that as such. But if you look from, say, uh, verse 22 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, so you're important. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. No one is uh, is unimportant in the the kingdom of God and and the family of God. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. And then this part, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that 
there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. We are to be equally concerned for each other. And that is practical. We must look out for each other. We must talk to one another. We must be concerned for one another. And we do that, and we need to do it more. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That is what he's saying in this prayer. That is what he's praying for, that we are unified in Christ. And thirdly, unity convinces the world. The purpose of this unity is that the world may believe that you sent me, uh, verses 21, 23, and 25, that the world would uh, believe Jesus is the revelation of God and or salvation. Therefore, folks, the the world must see it. That's the point, isn't it? Things like our adherence to the gospel message, we must adhere to the gospel. Our desire to meet and have fellowship with each other. Our self-sacrificial love for each other. Our shared goals and mission or dependence upon God for life and fruitfulness. The world needs to see that Jesus is number one for us. That he's living, that he's real, and that he's important to each one of us. A group of uh, people within the church have been uh, doing some thinking about our home groups in ARPC, and they have met on three occasions, and they presented their report to the elders on Tuesday. In summary, they said that, um, well, I think this is what they said, the methodology of the home groups is secondary to the desire that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, and that's the desire to meet. So it doesn't actually matter how we do home groups. If you, as the body of Christ in Adelaide Road, do not want to meet with each other. We can organize the most fantastic program. We can have the best leaders. We can train them well. But if you do not desire to meet with one another, well, then it doesn't matter. That's what we said. And we used the scriptures of Acts chapter 2, Uh, particularly describing the early church. You see where it said they were devoted to one another and they met regularly with one another. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Do you desire to meet with each other in prayer, in Bible study, in sharing your lives? It doesn't have to be in a formal group. We need to think about other times, other ways, and all of that. But do you want to do that? Because that is what the world is looking to see. That is what Jesus says. That is how the world will know that we are believers. Folks, the world is struggling. It's struggling with self-centeredness. There's increasing loneliness. And if we are no different to anybody else, then our understanding of the gospel and our commitment to it is weak. Everyone who attends church and is a believer in church today should be trying to share with others in church and throughout the week. And yes, we endeavor to set opportunities for you to do that, but it is Jesus' prayer 
that you would desire to do this for his glory and so that people would see that we love one another and love him. What a challenge. And lastly, that unity grows and is completed in heaven. You see that again in verses 23, 24, and 26. And I was struck by this language. You need your Bibles in front of you if you have them there, please, just to work through this. You see in verse 21, he starts by saying that they, the believers, may, you know, saying that they, believers, may be in us. Okay, I better, maybe I'll just read that actually. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, yeah, go back a bit, that they, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe. So we are in Jesus. So our union with Jesus is complete in the sense we're completely justified. We're completely adopted. I loved that picture this week. I was thinking about that idea of adoption. God brings you into his family as an adopted child. I was reading in, in, in some capacity as well. Now, actually, it was on a, a video. So if I adopt a child, and the story was about a child in Russia, and that child actually had educational needs. It had physical needs that were unknown to the parents who were adopting. But they said, we'll have that child. We will love that child. We're totally committed to that child. We will never give up on that child, regardless of what happens. That's the position that God has with you. He will never give up on you. Because we're adopted. We're in him. And it's inconceivable that he would ever let us go. Uh, David Gooding used the illustration of a fish. It's completely in the water, and the water is completely in it. That's how it lives. I'll leave that with you. But if you look at verse 23, the language is different. Jesus says he is in them, and his prayer is that they would be brought to complete unity or perfection. In 24, he prays again that they might be with him. Therefore, that they have, you know, therefore, what they have is not fully given. In other words, he wants them to know more of him. And they have more to see, more to experience in heaven. And in 26, he repeats the language of 23 by saying that Jesus may be in them. The point is that as Christian believers, we are totally in Christ but how much of Christ is in us? That's the challenge. How are we allowing Christ to shape our thinking, to shape our hearts, to shape our desires, to shape what we do? Or do we desire more holiness, more sanctification? Do we desire more glory, more love, more peace, more joy? more likeness of Christ, as Jesus desires in 23 and 26, that we would know and experience more of what? The love of Jesus, the love of God. That's what he wants. That's where he's going with this. He's going with relationship. 
He's going with more of himself in us. He's going that we would know him. And how does God reveal himself? He reveals himself as love. So we know, we know him as love. The gospel is love in action. So when he dwells in us, we experience that love. Love in mercy and in forgiveness. Love in his desire for a relationship with us. Love in care and help. Love in providing for us in future and in glory. Love simply because he wants to have a relationship with you and with us as a church. That is what he wants. Being brought to complete unity is being loved by God. And the more we respond to his love and allow him into our hearts, the more we will know unity with him and each other. And the truth is, it will speak powerfully to an unloving and unloved world that we live in. Let us ask God to help us to do as he prays. Amen. Well, folks, let's just pause and reflect on that and as we give our offering, and then we'll sing this, I believe. Folks, this is the International Day of Prayer uh, for the Persecuted Church. And today we're joining with churches all across Ireland and other countries in giving time to, in worship service, to pray for persecuted Christians. Christians face varying degrees of persecution in 60 countries, ranging from severe, those marked red, through significant, those marked orange, to limited green. Eritrea is colored red on this map because Christians there face severe persecutions. Persecution. All churches, apart from Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Lutheran, have been closed since 2002. And this is the president. I think it's Afarwerki led Eritrea to independence from Ethiopia in 1991 and has been in power ever since. Let's just say a short prayer for this country. Lord of the nations, we bring before you today the nation of Eritrea, known as one of the most repressive countries in the world and whose government has been accused by the UN of carrying out crimes against humanity. We pray for President Isaias Afarwerki, who has led the country since 1991 and is responsible for the persecution of political opponents, journalists, and thousands of Christians. We ask that President Afarwerki would change his ways and instead rule with righteousness and justice. Amen. This lady, Twen, has been in several prisons and has suffered beatings and torture. She is known for showing great love and care to her fellow prisoners. Patriarch Antonius is now 92, was deposed by the Eritrean government after he asked for the release of three Orthodox 
priests. These six long-term Christian prisoners are representative of hundreds of Christians who are currently held without trial or sentence. Let us pray again. We pray for the hundreds of Christians imprisoned without trial or sentence and held in harsh conditions in labor camps without knowing when, if ever, they will be released. We ask that you give every Christian prisoner courage, strength, and hope. Amen. Military service is compulsory in Eritrea and begins in the final year of secondary school. It continues, continues indefinitely, and critics describe it as slavery. Over 500,000 Eritreans have fled the country and become refugees. Many live in neighboring Ethiopia and Sudan. Eritrean Christians pray earnestly for an end to the oppression of the people and for God to intervene and bring healing to the nation. Let us pray. We pray for all the people of Eritrea, and particularly those who struggle in open-ended military service, frequently for low pay and often with very few opportunities to see their families. We also remember those who have fled the country and are living in refugee camps, hoping for a better future. We ask you, Lord, to intervene and bring healing to the whole nation. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And lastly, we will find out more about Eritrea when the next uh, Church and Chains magazine comes out. I want to um, uh, pray for Doris and for the Mitchell family this morning. I want to say thank you for many of you who went to the funeral uh, memorial service of Jonathan uh, yesterday. And, and the Lord laid this verse upon me, and I want to share it with you from Zechariah. It's the sort of prophecy that we looked at uh, last year. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 10. It says this, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit, the Holy Spirit, of grace and supplication or of prayer. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Let's pray. Father, though we do not fully appreciate or understand the grief that David and Dorothy and Matthew and the Mitchell family experience at this time, Father, your word reminds us that you do, that you lost your son, that you gave your son, your only son, your firstborn son, and that, Father, that you understand the depth of their grief. And I want to pray that they will continue to grieve for their loss, that they will feel the depth and the pain of it, and that, Father, that they will be able, Father, in the midst of that, to see you, 
and to see, Father, that your intention for them is loving and good and purposeful. And that, Father, that you desire to love them with an everlasting love and that you understand who they are and that you understand what they need. Father, we thank you that they have already been comforted by the Psalms and by the, the, the hymns of old and by the truth that they convey. And Father, I pray that we will not forget them, that we will not put them to the back of our mind, but that, Father, that we will often pray and support them in whatever way we can. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Folks, let's, we will finish our service by singing, um, really, I suppose, a, a hymn about our unity in Christ and also where our hope is found. And that, of course, is in Christ. So let's stand to sing this great hymn. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. <laughs>